Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I am joined by Charmaine Jackman, who is a Harvard-trained licensed psychologist with over 25 years in the mental health field. She's the founder and CEO of InnoPsych, Inc., an organization on a mission to disrupt racial inequities in mental health. Dr. Jackman is deeply invested in teaching tools that foster healing and thriving and through InnoPsych empowers leaders to cultivate emotionally safe work cultures that result in thriving organizations and people. Dr. Jackman gets hired by organizations for keynotes, panels, and consultations on a range of topics, including creating emotionally safe work cultures, child adolescent development, racial trauma, burnout, and employee emotional well-being. You might already have a sense of why I've brought her onto the show. Uh, this is this is actually an important area that we haven't talked about yet. So Charmaine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Before we dive in, because uh, I know you have a lot of really important stuff to share with us. I'm curious, uh, what's been your experience? Have you burned out yourself in the workplace? Funny you should ask that question. (laughs) Yes, I have. I've had, I would say I've had two pretty clear bouts of burnout. Um, And, you know, one of the things as you read my bio, it's, you know, I love to do a lot of different things and I get excited by all the work that I do. Um, but when you're trying to do a lot of things, it can lead to burnout. So I would say the first one uh, was right around the time I was having my first child, but it was even leading up to that. I was working full-time at a high school, and also I had a part-time private practice where I would do forensic evaluations. Those evaluations often uh, involve very long, in-depth reports, and so I was kind of living like I was a college student still. And so I'd have all-nighters and then have to go into work and beyond and, you know, support students in crisis and manage a team. And so over time, that just got to be really hard to manage. And so, you know, I recognize it. I would say, I would say my husband gave me some hints <laughs> that I was not doing well. You know, I was very cranky and, and, and impatient. And so I had to make a 
a decision to step back and, and actually cut back some of that forensic work. It was pretty lucrative financially, but it was taking a health toll. So I would say that was the first instance. And then I say one more recently, I think in the process of planning a transition um, for my job and, and going full-time as an entrepreneur, I was really trying to make sure everything was set up. I didn't want to leave the comfort of the job and the the security of that without having kind of a financial, feeling financially secure. And so during that phase, um, I just was working really hard. It was also during COVID. So I think that also added a piece to it. Um, but it was a plan. I knew there was an end in sight. And so after, you know, I left and I really kind of took some time, did a couple of programs that really involved pouring back into me and getting, feeling censored and reconnecting with who I am. Um, there's some things that were happening at the workplace as well that really made that experience really challenging for me. So those are two very clear pieces. I you know, feel like I'm always working on uh, not burning out. I, I love my work and I, can, I don't have a good shut off time system. So it's something I'm always mindful of. I bet there's a lot of people listening right now that are nodding their head and they're like, yep, <laughs> that is pretty much a common thing, right? A lot of us don't have a shutoff system, especially when we're entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It's really easy for us to be on all the time. And actually what's been interesting during COVID, I think, is that a lot of people went to work from home during that time. For the very first time, they had almost like an entrepreneurial experience where there was no separation between work and home. And we started to see a lot of people burning out working from home. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's important whether you work for someone else from home, whether you're an entrepreneur and it's your own business and whether you're an entrepreneur who works from home or not, that you do have a shut off system. So thank you yeah. for reminding that, yeah. the, uh, us of that. <laughs> and also this idea, I love, I love how you phrased it, how you were living like a college student, right? Because we, we do get ambitious sometimes and try to do too much. And then it requires that we sacrifice sleep and we're pulling these all nighters and trying to show up with our brain intact for work the next day. And, you know, you've got a newborn on top of it all. That's just a lot for anybody. It is. Yeah. It is. So, yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense that, you know, that didn't go too well, <laughs> but we learn from those things. We learn what not to do. We are right? learning. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was interesting to kind of hear what your story was because it's actually quite different from the work that you do. And from my understanding, what we're going to dive into today is really looking at how, when we've got discrimination and racial inequities in the workplace, how that can contribute to burnout. And I know that uh, you've got a lot to say on the subject, um, but I know there's also some very common myths around these things because we're not all equal in the workplace. And so we all have our own version of the story, our own perception, our own experience. And so maybe you can walk us through what those three myths are that you're going to debunk for us. And then I think that'll lead us into a deeper conversation. Yeah, you know, and thank you again for the opportunity to speak to this topic. Um, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, it's, it's 
connects to my experience and, and the experiences of a lot of my friends and colleagues. So I am excited to share this and kind of, you know, hope with the hope that we can make shifts happen. It is a focus of what we're doing at InnoPsych now. We're really focusing a lot of on racial stress and trauma in the workplace and really helping leaders, you know, make decisions and, and make actions that can help create healthier and more, more emotionally safe workplaces. So one of the myths, so the, the three myths. So the first one I would say is what we see is like, if you're not directly impacted by discrimination, so depending on what your social identity is, so your race or ethnicity, sometimes gender, your sexual orientation, right? If you talk generally, but when we think about race, if you, if you're not showing up and looking different, if you're uh, not in the in a minoritized group, then you don't see it, right? It's not really there. You don't see how it happens. And if people are sharing that their experience with you, it can be really hard to believe that that's true, right? Because we want to we want to feel that we're working at an environment that respects and treats everybody equally. Um, the second one is well before before you dive into okay. that, this okay. is the next one. Okay. Let's 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 kind of unpack that for a second. So. I'm a white woman and I'm imagine like I'm working in an organization and you're my colleague. Mm -hmm. And so we're both hired. We're both psychologists. We both come in to do the work for this organization. And because of the privilege that I have, I might assume that my experience is equal to your experience. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and I think it's important to spend a minute here because so many of us don't understand that we're not always getting the same reactions from people and we don't have the same opportunities and people treat us differently based on how we look and what we sound like and what they mm -hmm. think of us and their own ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so it's really important to bring this up because a lot of times there is unfairness in the workplace, which can lead people to burnout. And I actually wrote an entire article on this, which I will link to in the show notes, because I, I think this is really important to understand all the ways that it can be unfair in the workplace. A lot of it having to do with discrimination and all yeah. kinds of inequities, as you, you've listed a number of ways that this shows up. Yeah. And and understanding that that can absolutely lead people to burnout. And if we don't have similar experiences in the workplace, it's hard for us to see that somebody else would have something different going on. Like we just right. can't even fathom it. Almost right. like when you have kids growing up under one roof and you have the same set of parents, but you know, you've got the favorite and then you've got the troublemaker that you're just kind of like, oh God, I have to deal with this right. one. Right. And so even as parents, when yeah. we love our kids, we don't treat them the same. Right. So, and let me bring that home to you, right? Let's, so let's, so we're both working and stay in an outpatient clinic um, and you go out to greet your client and your client walks back with you. No questions asked. I go out to meet my client and maybe I'm mistaken for a secretary. Yeah. And that happens not just, I mean, we, yeah, we see that with race. We also see that, as you said, with gender, mm -hmm. I hear this all mm -hmm. the time where, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're in an industry as a woman that is heavily taxed by men, 
then mm-hmm. you can walk into a conference room and be surrounded by all these men and they automatically assume that you're the secretary. So they're like, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? Right. And it's very right. innocent. Right. Right. But it's like that unconscious bias, right? right? Where we just right. we just have ideas and it's not it's not coming from all it's not always coming from a place of, you know, I'm a I'm a terrible person and I I'm hateful and you know, I want to make these people's experience terrible, but it's oftentimes like we don't even understand that what we're doing is wrong, which is hard right. because right. if we don't know that we're doing something wrong, then we're going to keep doing it. Right. So and then it, we're going to keep injuring people. Exactly. Right. And that that's the point, right? It's like because the connection is to burnout. So how does this how does this matter? So maybe there's one interaction where um you know, you're mistaken for the secretary. Maybe there's another interaction where you're mistaken for the client or a custodian, or then you go through your day and then there are all these little, little, little slights. They add up, right? And then you're like, okay, so people don't, they're not seeing me. They're not seeing me for my full self. They're not seeing me for my contributions. I would say one of the things that that showed up for me in, in, in conference rooms where I was at was whenever I would share ideas, they would very quickly be discounted. Oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. While other people had the opportunity to share a range of ideas and people be willing to explore those, right? And so after a while, I'm like, huh, like what is, and I just started to notice the patterns, right? Yeah. So, you know, and and for me, it's like I walk in uh, for, for those, I don't know if this is all audio or video, but I'm a Black woman. So there's also then the intersection of gender and race which can be a double whammy as well. Exactly. So um, I'm glad you brought that up about the conference thing because that actually (laughs) happens more than we realize. I had a client who is a white woman. So she didn't have the double whammy, but she had the single whammy, I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, And she's, she's in construction. She's in that industry and she's a VP. Mm -hmm. But all through the years, she would be there with a whole bunch of guys and she said she would bring up an idea and they would shoot it down. And then some other guy, white guy, would say the exact same thing. And everybody would be like, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's try it out. Like, let's I try just it said out. That. Right, right. <laughs> they so wanted to try real. it. And, and yeah, and for it to work or not work, right? They, there's a luxury in that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I think that sometimes we don't, as we said, there's that unconscious bias. And I also think that. Um, if the people who are experiencing this don't speak up, then it's, it stays buried. Like we still don't, it's, it remains unconscious in the people right. who are doing it in their mind. Right. I'm glad you said that because that's the other piece, right? So you're also, so you are um, experiencing these slight microaggressions, right? In the workplace. And then if you call, because then you're the person who is, whose voice is, is not represented, well represented, then you're often the one who has to call attention to these issues, right? And then there's the piece about, well, so, so what happens is people often say silence, like I'm never gonna bother because I'm gonna say something and people are gonna be like, oh no, that didn't happen. Or are you sure? Oh, you're being too sensitive. They didn't mean anything by that, right? So there are all these ways, and then your experience, your experience is being minimized, minimized and discounted. Yes. Um, and so people just end up staying silent. So then that silence then perpetuates this that there's this thing that happened in our workplace, right? It kind of perpetuates this, 
the idea that this organization is discrimination free because people aren't just saying, saying anything unless it's really egregious, right? People Then people might report it. But there are a lot of people walking around wounded and not sharing their experience because they don't want to then have their, their experience be discounted in the workplace. They might share it outside with family and friends who can validate and affirm, but that's often not the experience when people talk about their experience with discrimination in the workplace. It's often not an affirming and validation of their experience and is often a centering of the people who've actually caused the harm. And Dr. Charmaine, I feel like we can talk about this one piece for a good while um, because there's so much in this. Um, But before we move on, I just want to kind of highlight what you've said because it's so important. It's, It's like we're in this paradox where we don't know what we don't know. And then if somebody does bring it up, then we become defensive and we tell them, oh no, that didn't happen. Or, you know, we somehow dismiss it. Mm-hmm. And, and what that creates is this culture where it's not safe for people who have been discriminated against to speak up and right the wrong. And so then they're walking around, as you call it, wounded, which only brings down the entire team and the culture. Um, and so this is actually, you can see how this can bring burnout up for a number of people for all, all these different reasons. So that's, that's really important. I'm glad that you brought that first one up. What is your next myth? Ooh, all right. The next one. All right. This is a good one. Um, I can show up to work as my full self, bring my full authentic self to work and I will be fully accepted by everyone. No. And that sounds so great. Like, and we always tell people, you know, come be, be authentic, show up, be your full self. So why is that a myth? Because it's not true. And part of it, what we've seen in the workplace, we've seen people, we're different, we're, we're different culturally. So there's some people who, speaking loudly and with their hands and wearing bright colors is how they how they operate in the world. Um, people who show up with different hairstyles, I might have this braids one week and then next week I have a wig on with shorter hair. And um, that's not accepted because then there are lots of questions. Well, what happened? Did you grow? You know, like there are lots of questions. So the way, you know, the way that we speak, right? If I speak directly, I had experiences early on where I would give feedback to my interns and they would be like, they would cringe at the feedback. It wasn't like I was being rude or anything, was saying this is what needs to change. Um, But I needed to, I learned I had to couch that and be more, I don't know, I don't know, gentle or whatever. Um, But there are ways in which people then talk. Um, I have an accent, right? I've had to, my accent has changed over time to kind of fit, right? And so there's a lot of code switching that happens in order to fit in. So yeah, so we say bring your full authentic selves to work, but it's actually not true. Let's talk about the impact that that has. When you can't show up as yourself and you're constantly having to, it feels kind of like you're walking on eggshells. Like you're always looking outside, back, trying to figure out like who's there, what am I supposed to do? Kind of questioning yourself and not feeling comfortable right? It's like being in a rocky relationship where 
you know, if, or like I've had clients who are in abusive relationships and so they're constantly having to watch their back. They're constantly walking on eggshells because you just don't know the next time, you know, that person is going to just flip the switch and all of a sudden, you know, they throw you across the room or something. And it's not that dramatic, obviously in the workplace, because it's not like you're physically getting thrown, but there's a psychological and emotional equivalent of that, which, which is, you know, no less, uh, hurt, hurtful, you know, and damaging. And so when we talk about burnout, which is largely psychological, we can see that this can absolutely fit the bill. Right. Right. And a lot of it is based on stereotypes, right? So sometimes they get passionate about a particular issue that might be interpreted as angry. And so can you, can you, can you manage your tone? Can you not be so angry when you share it, when you give feedback or tell us what we need to do differently, right? And so there's a there's a, a thing that you need to check, check how you're showing up, right? You need to check your emotion. You need to check how you are writing your email. So there's many ways in which that, that, that I then do that own centering because I don't want it to come from the environment. And that takes a toll. I remember... Um, a situation with my children's school, there was this very, um, um, this was this this project that was done and it had very traditional images of African people and it was very frustrated and humiliated um, as a mom of black kids. And I remember writing an email to the head, the head of school. It took me about three hours to write that email. Wow. Because I was checking every sentence, making sure, okay, so if I say it that way, they're going to they're not, they're going to discount what I'm saying. I needed them to understand why this was important and why it was a problem, wow. but I had to make sure I wasn't, then come off angry. Cause then they would just say, oh, she's angry and discount the message. Right. So I literally took, I pulled resources. I had links. I was like, it was three hours. I'm feeling this burden of like needing to make this thing better, but I'm also trying to communicate and advocate for my children. But I also know if I, if I don't communicate this the right way, that it could be misunderstood or, or, or minimized or diminished or just kind of put to the side. So that is, I mean, we talk about just the, the labor that's involved with that. Imagine you're doing that on a daily basis in an environment that's toxic, right? It takes a toll. And it's kind of ironic that you bring this up because I've had clients who are perfectionists. So it wasn't from the standpoint of being misunderstood as like, oh, I'm a black woman and they're going to think I'm angry, but more so like, I want to make sure that I don't come off as an idiot, right? Because of that imposter syndrome. So it creates this this compulsion to spend hours on end checking and rechecking and rechecking. And so, you know, when we talk, when we talk about burnout, we often talk about like how not to be a perfectionist, how to break Mm -hmm. that mindset, Mm -hmm. but that's between you and yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier for us to change it versus Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is between you and the reality that exists out there, which as we've already said, is often so invisible mm-hmm. and below people's conscious awareness that it's hard for us to try to maneuver our way through um, when people aren't aware that this even exists, right? So we're having to do that delicate dance. And as you said, right. it's it's mentally exhausting, which by the way, is a burnout symptom. So we can see how this definitely fits the mold. Right, 
Right. And for the person receiving that email, they probably, <laughs> they responded pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. We'll set up a meeting. Right. It's a very quick response yes. without any recognition or understanding of what it took, <laughs> how long it took to communicate what I, what I, what I just communicated. Yeah. It's almost like you're putting so much in to get so little out, out. Yeah. but that little bit is like, yes, I've gotten mm -hmm. what I, what I kind of paid <laughs> yeah. for, right? Like with yeah. my time yeah. and my effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, what is myth number three that we need to debunk today? Um, I would say um, kind of similar, I think on the similar theme, but it's that we all have the same access and opportunities to advance in the organization. Um, and that's again, not true. Okay, so uh, from your experience, tell us uh, what you've seen happen and how, why is this not true? Yeah, I mean, there's an article just recently put out by a black woman and again, I use race and identity and the intersection of our identities is important. Mm -hmm. um, a number of, uh, I'm on a chat with, with some working moms, some black working moms, and a couple of them, one shared experience where she's like, oh, I just noticed I'm getting overlooked. I'm not being promoted. And there were three or four people who chimed in and talked about, yep, that's been my experience. I had to get out of there, right? So, so this is the experience where it doesn't matter what your qualifications are, how, what experience you come with. Um, there's something about you and what you bring that's overlooked. Um, and other people who... Uh, I would guess fit the mold, um, have a much easier time moving through the organization. Sometimes that's connected to, you know, again, bias. Sometimes that connect, that's connected to um, opportunities to have mentors who are, uh, and sponsors who are looking out for you and helping you move through the, 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 the move up the ladder. Um, oftentimes you see that um, employees of color don't have access to those informal networks within the organization. So they often get left behind. Yeah. And so um, this comes back to that piece about unfairness, right? There's basically a lot of this um, relates back to unfairness and we can see how it leads to, as we said, exhaustion, resentment, uh, feeling wounded, feeling unsafe. There's so much that uh, impacts the individual. So this is a very, very important topic that you're sharing with us today. Yeah. People feel um, unappreciated, right? Like your, your your talents and the work that you're putting in are yeah. not being valued. And I think that the for and for people that's the worst. Like, okay, if I'm of no value, then I don't want to be in a place that doesn't see my value. Right. Yeah. It's really I think there's actually the you know, the burnout is definitely there, but there's often a sadness. And if people don't keep it in check, it could also lead to more mental health conditions like depression and anxiety, right? So there oh, is wow, like a, a, yeah, I guess very disillusioned for people um, not feeling a sense of worth. And especially I think if they've had this experience in multiple places, it right. feels like you can't escape it. Like everywhere right. I go, there it is. And it's just right. like my experience of being in the world. And this is just how the world is. So um, let's talk about what companies can do to help with this issue. I know that you do some training Absolutely. So I, you know, I think one of the things is to really be willing to pull back the curtain and look and really 
understand what are my experience, what are my employees experiencing in the organization. We've, uh, we have a survey that we've administered and we continue to administer to companies and just in general. And so people are, people, it's really for employees of color. So people are sharing their, their experiences. Um, so we work, we, you know, our goal is again, as you said, at the top of the, the segment is to really help leaders um, to empower leaders to make decisions and, and access tools and strategies that help them create emotionally safe work cultures. So again, part of that is really understanding what the challenges are in your workplace. As we talk about, silence is often one of the big factors. So if you, you may think you don't have a problem, mm. rest assured, you do. <laughs> if you have a diverse workforce, you do. And so being willing to, to be open to looking and, and seeing what that looks like for your organization. I think the other piece then we do is work with the leadership, um, work with different leadership levels to again, increase their awareness and understanding about how it shows up, how to recognize it, but most importantly, how to respond. One of the big keys that we see is that people don't respond well. They either ignore it, um, that we talk, they minimize it, um, Sometimes they end up um, demoting the person who's making the complaint, mm. or maybe they, they stay at the same level, but the person who's causing the harm ends up continues to move up to the organization. You can just imagine what that can feel like. So we really help um, leaders also then think about how, how, how are they responding when this, when this does happen? How are they creating um, protocols that allow people to share information anonymously and honestly? Um, and then we also work with employees. Um, if, if organizations have employee resource groups, those are affinity spaces. Uh, we work with those groups to provide emotional well-being programming. We have a program that's called Healing from Racial Stress in the Workplace. That's been really successful. Um, we invite um, people from different organizations to work together. We do a lot of uh, programming and healing strategies. I have an expressive therapist on my team. And we've done some really created some really great content to help people release that stress and that tension from their bodies because all that stuff lives in their bodies. And so it's really about exporting that and releasing that. So, you know, and then we, you know, we, we, we get feedback and we, we, you know, we share that back. So it's really kind of working with companies through a, through a cycle of assessing, implementing, monitoring, and using that feedback to, you know, continue to make changes and improve. So very, very important work. And so if you have a diverse organization, do reach out to Dr. Charmaine. She will at least get you started with the process with an assessment to see what's going on and give you some feedback, and then you can take it from there. So thank you so much, Dr. Charmaine. Where can they go to look you up and to make that initial contact? Absolutely. So um, our website is innopsych.com, um, inno, like innovative. And then psych like psychology. I'm sure you had it in the show notes. I will. Um, and then we can also reach us by email at thrive at innopsych.com. Um, we really, yeah, thank you. We really do a lot of great work, um, a lot of education around emotional well-being for at all levels of the organization. I, I bet you do. Well, for <laughs> all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? 
Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you're ready to take the next step with me to decode your burnout, go to decodeyourburnout.com. I'll see you right back here next week. Bye for now.